Restaurant Unstoppable episode 657 with Chef Eric Skokin. If you have a great culture, if you have a culture that works for you, uh, then the staff, uh, the vast majority of the time, ends up making the right decision. They do the right thing. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Were you aware that 89% of guests will research a restaurant online before dining out? This is why it is so important for you to be mindful of what your online presence is. Visit getbento.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your Bento Box website today. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable. And when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry. This has helped them shape their product and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Eric Skoken, my man. Chef Eric, are you feeling unstoppable today? So unstoppable. <laughs> yes, that is what we like to hear at Restaurant Unstoppable. So born and raised in San Diego, Eric Skoken was, sorry, born in San Diego, raised in Virginia. Uh, Eric Skoken was a graduate of the University of Virginia. Upon graduation, Skoken traveled working in some of the nation's greatest restaurants. In 2006, Skokin and his wife, Jill, opened Black Cat Farm in Table Bistro, which was followed by the 130-acre certified organic Black Cat Farm. One year later, in 2012, the couple opened their second restaurant, Bramble and Hare. And on top of all of this, with all that spare time you have, uh, Skokin decided to author a book, Farm, Fork, and Food, a year of spectacular recipes inspired by Black Cat Farm. I cannot wait to dive into your story to find out how you got to where you are today but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us all right so like clearly we have a lot of stuff going on and uh so <laughs> many balls yeah so <laughs> many so many balls in the air uh, at the same time uh, and it puts a lot of stress on the staff um 
you know, all, all the time because literally every day we rewrite the menu. Everything's totally different. Uh, and, you know, I have all these harebrained schemes like, hey, maybe I'll raise cattle or, you know, or whatever it is, right? Um, and, and I realized that uh, uh, the fear of change that was in the staff was holding us back. And, uh, and so now I make a joke about it, right? Some new thing is going to happen. And I always find myself saying, hey, what could possibly go wrong? Well, and it turns out a lot of stuff can go wrong. But, you know, if you don't mind that it goes wrong, if you're willing to deal with the failure, then it's all good. I think we also have to have a men- mentality that like in this industry, it's never going to go exactly as planned. And we need to kind of like True. accept that because we live in a very fluid world. It changes constantly, right? Oh, it is. So, you know, f- failure is a fundamental part of uh, everything that we do, right? You know, and, and in fact, it from I've learned this now that uh, failure is a fundamentally necessary part of success, right? No, nobody is perfectly successful right out of the chute, right? We all, we all fail. And, you know, so for me, embracing failure and for the rest of the staff, uh, embracing failure, you know, like teaching people and culturing people to um, feel that failure is liberating so long as it's part of the process, right? And then, um, uh, and then, you know, and then through that, we uh, were able to pick apart why we failed, uh, really embrace it, um, and none of us want to fail on the same thing twice, right? Um, and I find that it, it makes us really clear thinking, like something didn't go well. Um, then we, we, we have a, a quick meeting, we pick it apart, and we come up with a new plan, and we try it again. And, you know, so it's like, uh, you know, you try something for the first time, um, and you, get a, you, you score a C- minus on it. Uh, well, next time you, ne- you, you really need, need to be shooting for a, a B plus, And then the third time, really getting an A. Yeah, just start, right? Because I think just we're, do it. We're, all, just do we're it. always, we're, I mean, people in this industry like to do it right, you know? And we sure. want it to be right the first time. But the reality of the matter is, just start because it's not going to be perfect. But every time you do it, you're going to get a little bit better, right? Yep. Awesome stuff. And um, I think we'll kind of get into it more. I read that article in the, where you're talking about right now. There was a, about, about failure. And right. A lot of people... You know, the first three years of owning a restaurant is like mayhem, right? After a year <laughs> of owning your first restaurant, you decided that you're going to open a farm on top of it. So I'm sure right. we'll get into some of those failures right. um, and what we learned from those failures. But uh, let's bring it to where it starts to make sense uh, as far as like where the story starts for you. Uh, where does the story start for you? When does it start? Where does it make sense to start telling your story? Sure. Well, <clears throat> I um, I fell in love with cooking uh, working my way through uh, college, uh, you know, uni- University of Virginia, um, uh, you know, study my butt off, uh, you know, leave the library, uh, go to the restaurant that I was working in, cook, and it felt liberating. Uh, you know, cooking, being being a line cook, being in the kitchen uh, every night was, uh, you know, it was it was liberation. I felt great as a person, exciting, fun. I was learning things. What was um, it that was liberating you exactly? Well, you know, uh, when when you're cooking 17, 18, 19 tickets at the same time, and you have all that stuff in your head, um, and and trying to get the timing right, and and uh, you you have to have perfect, complete focus. Like you have no space in your head for um, the, uh, the paper that I'm writing or, you know, or I have to cram for this test or I have to read two more chapters of blah, blah, blah. Like there's no time, you know, to think about any of that, uh, kind of, that kind of stuff. Um, or I got a flat tire in my car. Oh, woe is me. Right. When you're on the line, you can't, 
you can't think of that stuff. So when I hear the word liberating, I hear freedom. That's what comes to my oh, yeah. mind, right? Freedom. Yep. And it's almost like you're entering that Zen state, right? Because when you get into flow and you're working, it's like meditation. Like you're focused on your breath and you forget about everything else because you're just focused on your breath. And you That's get right. into that same state of flow and meditation when you're just focusing on executing the ticket, right? Yep. Um, and, and, you know, for, a uh, for a, you know, 20, 22 year old, um, you know, uh, spastic, you know, kind of all over the place, you know, all, all that kind of stuff, young, you know, young and, and trying to figure things out as you go, finding that place where, uh, life becomes really focused, um, and, uh, manageable and fun and exciting, um, it, you know, brings everything into perspective, I think in a really, uh, for me in a really profound way, um, such that I, I knew I was going to be a chef and well, and, and I love to eat right? I love <laughs> food, right? So you put those two things together, like this is a great fit for who I am as a person and I get to eat great food all at the same yeah. time. Right. So what year, like how old were you again? You may have mentioned, I, I kind of escaped my mind. Um, so, uh, uh, I, I worked through re- in restaurants all the way through college. So, you know, 18 through okay, you gotcha. know, 20 and uh, graduated when I was 23. Zoom to like 30,000 feet from you real quick sure. and kind of list, um, the, the restaurants that you think had in chronological order mm-hmm. that kind of had the biggest impact sure. on you and the professional you are today. And then we'll kind of dissect that. Sure. Well, the first one was where I did an apprenticeship silver thatch in, in, in Charlottesville. The, uh, chef Gordon Carlson is just, you know, like, uh, an unstoppable like prodigiously talented uh, guy I I learned uh, it was it was so hard so 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 hard uh, but I learned so much uh, really really quickly and I and I absolutely loved it I went uh, from there I ran my my own uh, first restaurant Michael's Bistro also in in Charlottesville and you know frankly I was fully unqualified for my my first uh, my first chef's job um, I was a really, really good cook, uh, but managing other people, pulling a team together, boy, that was, uh, those were all skills that I was learning on the fly. We'll dissect that. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> and then, um, uh, and then, uh, I went to DC, uh, restaurant Nora, um, Nora Pouillon is, uh, one of the, um, uh, one of the most visionary, uh, best chefs that we have, uh, uh, Nora has created a legacy throughout the country. So I, I put Nora on par with Alice Waters. These yeah. two women, one on each coast, are just um, – uh, I mean, we're just really, really lucky in restaurants to uh, to be able to uh, walk the path that they've laid out for us. We're really, really lucky. Love it. Um, uh, then uh, went to uh, San Francisco. Um, I went uh, – and so this is, uh, you know, late 90s. Um, I, I went as a, a chef who made really tall food, and I left San Francisco as a chef who made food that tasted good, uh, <laughs> right? Um, and then uh, I came out to uh, Colorado, um, you know, really just to uh, get away from the city for a summer. I thought I was just going to work for the season. What year uh, was it when you came out here? Uh, 2000 and – I'm sorry, uh, uh, 1990, not, 1998. Um, and, uh, and, man, I loved it. I – I really, really loved it out here. Uh, so that uh, summer stretched out into a year and then into the next season. Um, uh, along the way, I, I met my wife. Um, Good reason to and, stick around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it turns out uh, Jill was the GM of the resort uh, that had hired me. Okay. Uh, so we worked together for three years, uh, and then we started dating. And Now we know why she hired you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, huh, interesting. Um, but... Uh, 
um, uh, that was a spectacular uh, experience. Uh, you know, rustic uh, out in the middle of nowhere. We were three or four miles yeah. from the closest other, you know, whatever. I think it's time to start dissecting some of this. Yeah. So uh, just for the, I like timelines. I like when, when was the so when you were in Charlottesville? Sure. Uh, was it the silver? Silver Thatch Inn. Yep. Silver Thatch Inn. What year was that? Uh, that was in 93, And then a couple years at Michael's. So there's a lot going on between 93 and 98, five years. You, you covered a lot of ground. Covered a, a tremendous I think, ambition. I right? think that's why timelines are so important to me because I think it shows ambition. It shows, sure. it shows how, like, you know, how many restaurants are you working in a period of time? Are you working in five restaurants in one year? That might not be a good thing, right? <laughs> so, like, you, this right. is spread out over five, six years. You're, you're probably giving at least a year at each location yep. on the shooting. Yeah. Yep. So, um, Let's bring it to the first location, Charlottesville, Silver Fashion. How did this transform? You said it was hard. It was but what really did it hard. teach you? What did, what did it teach you? All right. So, so I went in as a as a, a kid who had uh, worked at you know like Tippy's Taco and burger places and you know um, uh, you know just you know putting mayo on bread and you know, yeah. you know all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, but I but I loved it and I knew I really wanted to cook and. So I went. I went to uh, the best restaurant in town, the Silver Thatch Inn, um, at the time, and and uh, asked the chef if I could work for him. And uh, you know, he brought me into the kitchen, and um, you know, I had. Uh, I really thought I was. You know, I was all it. I was. I was the the, the greatest or whatever. And uh, and I realized so quickly how little I really, really knew, and. And Gordon was a taskmaster. Taskmaster. He uh, um, pulled no punches. Um, uh, insisted on everything being perfect every single day. Um, you know. And by the, I, I went in as apprentice. I left there as sous chef. Wow. Um, and that's a short time because we're thinking five years from yeah. start to finish, yeah, right? In about a year and a half there, so four months, um, uh, apprentice ish, uh, and then. Uh, line cook, and then you know attrition happens in restaurants, and appar- apparently I proved myself and <laughs> ended up as sous chef, and then left as a sous chef there. So give me one or two lessons, one or two ways that this chef Gordon uh, transformed you and influenced you into who you are today. Well, uh, for for him, uh, everything was um, you know uh, speed, perfection, efficiency, flavor, like, and there was no. Uh, there was no space in the kitchen for um, uh, not not being focused. Like we went in, uh, you went into the kitchen, and uh, you you know you put your game face on, and you attacked the prep list, um, and uh, and the menu changed uh, pretty frequently, uh, and the dishes were kind of all over the place. And often I would say, "Oh man, um, couldn't we just like dump a bunch of cream in this and make it better?" And he would say. Yes, but then that would uh, teach you to work, uh, walk with crutches. Yeah, you're leaning on the cream, not yeah, the, the exactly. No, know. no crutches, right? So, uh, and that was I. I would say, you know, if he were sitting in this, if you were interviewing uh, Gordon right now, it would be, you know, make it perfect with no crutches. I remember one time um, I made a dish, and you know, this, that, and the other thing, and I shaved truffles on it, and blah blah blah, and I was like, oh, and I, and then I was, I you know, I couldn't help but say, oh my god, this is so great, this, you know, blah blah blah. And and that would always uh, push uh, uh, Gordon's <laughs> buttons, and um, um, his nickname was Buddy. Um, so uh, it would push uh, Buddy's uh, buttons, and he said, "You know, Eric, I don't, 
don't tell me how good you are until you can do a tasting menu with a bag of parsnips. If you can wow people and make everyone just elated and crying in the dining room with joy with a bag of parsnips, then you can call yourself a chef. <laughs> until then, I just don't want to hear it. Right? You have work to do. So he kind of like he helped you be humble. He, he taught oh, yeah. you humility, right? Yeah. Well, how has that served you? Yeah. Well, um, uh, uh, in, you know, in the end. Um, cooking in restaurants is only about uh, pleasing guests. Mm. Being a restaurateur is only about uh, making the guests in the dining room uh, happy and elated. Like we're like, and I believe this fully, completely right now uh, today. Um, our job is to take care of people. That's mm. hospitality, right? Yeah. At, at its root. And you know, when whenever I am in the kitchen and I let my big head get in the way. Um, and I'm essentially, I'm pleasing myself. I'm not really focused on the true, you know, essence of, you know, what it is we're supposed to be doing, which is taking care of the guests. And, and frankly, it's taking care of the guests on the guests terms, not on the chef's terms. Right. Um, and of course, you know, there, there has to be some sort of a crossover. Uh, so case in point, I'm not a big fan of lavender. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't like the flavor, but, um, I, you know, our, our kitchen is glassed in, and when I do something with lavender, you know, duck with lavender honey or, you know, lavender panna cotta and, and uh, hazelnuts and and uh, and apricots or whatever, um, I, and I see the guests swooning in the dining room, I'm remembering, right, lavender is super important. It's, it's evocative, and it's a beautiful thing. I just don't happen to like, like it, but what I like, you know, ultimately, you know, doesn't, I mean, it matters, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, the swooning in the, the dining room, really, that's the purpose of the it's a great thing. lesson. That's a great lesson to pull away. Just, you know, all these things that you shared with us up to this point. Um, and we, we got three more restaurants to talk about before moving out to Colorado. Um, so which of these three, maybe two of them out of the three, do you want to like hover over for a little bit? How and why basically bring us to a restaurant that really you think transformed you an experience that transformed you? Well, I mean, the most powerful, you know, experience that I've had in all restaurants was at Restaurant Nora in in DC, and um, uh, it was intense. It was really really hard. Uh, Nora, uh, you know, was always a taskmaster, and um, uh, she runs a, a spectacular restaurant. Um, uh, I, I'm so so happy that I had that experience. I wasn't worthy of you know of the experience that I was learning from. How did this experience impact you? How did it change you? Right. Who were you going into this experience? Who were you coming out of this experience? Yeah. Um, I was going into the experience as you know a kid with lots of ambition. A kid who just fell on his his face too, right? Because you had Michael Michael's Bistro that. Yeah, your first owned the, the first business you had ownership in, right? Uh, no, that uh, I was just the uh, just the chef. Oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Uh, and th- and that was great. I learned I learned a ton there. Um, Michael's Bistro is very standard, you know, restaurant, um, you know, pub, uh, pub food and you know high volume and and that sort of thing. And it was a great place, uh, a great proving ground to learn, you know, management and that sort of thing. I know you but, want to talk about Nora, um, but. You mentioned something earlier, and I like to stay chronological. That this mm-hmm. is really where you learn how to manage people. Yeah, um, yeah. is it worth hovering over that for a little bit before going on to Nora? Well, um, I, I think so. There's, there's, you know, a million little takeaways, but really one big, 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 big one. Um, I didn't realize that my mood, that how I, you know, uh, accepted its success or failure, how I led the staff. Um, 
I didn't think that it really mattered uh, very much. Uh, if I, you know, flipped out because, you know, something got miscooked or, or whatever, I thought that was my own private little... A little bubble. Bubble, right? right? And <clears throat> so um, uh, I used to, uh, uh, you know, yell and kick and scream and, and all that kind of stuff when things would go wrong. Uh, and I realized, um, you know, fairly soon that the, the the rest of the kitchen staff was doing the same thing. And then interestingly, over time, um, uh, the front of the house started doing the same thing. And I remember one uh, one evening, um, one of the waitstaff members lit into a customer for not playing by the rules, <laughs> right? And I thought to myself... Is that, is that the quote? Are we doing air yeah, quotes right there? Is yeah, that something that yeah, you used air, to say air quotes. Now, well, um, I mean, I, I, now I, I realize, realize this in, in retrospect. Um, and... Um, I, I realized that um, the wait staff were failing at a, the fu- the fundamental rule of restaurants, taking care of people on their terms, um, be- because um, uh, when they came to the kitchen, they were being abused by all of the uh, the staff, uh, the the kitchen staff. Back of the house is just yelling at them, you know, willy nilly for for whatever, uh, being you know, uh, being a bunch of grumpy people or whatever, and all of that came from me that I had started the whole thing. I had created a culture of, of um, abuse uh, through the whole restaurant. Yeah. I mean, from two, the top down. Two right? things that come to mind when I hear you tell the story. Uh, first, I'm thinking of Danny Meyer and his uh, explanation of skunking, right? And the, mm. that when there's a negative person in a room, like you affect everybody like you that that energy transfers right you transfer that energy to everybody and they they people follow in your footsteps right yep um and i think the other thing that comes to mind is just emotional intelligence and at the peak of emotional intelligence at the peak of emotional intelligence they say that self-awareness is at the peak when you the most emotionally intelligent people are self-aware and it takes time to evolve right. that, that frontal lobe to be self-aware. And, and it sounds like this is around the time where you really yep. started to become self-aware and you're realizing like your impact on others is so powerful. Do you want to reflect any more on that? Well, um, it, it, uh, it hit me like a freight train. I, you know, I, I couldn't believe, you know, we all, we all think great things about ourselves. Um, you know, and we all, we all think, you know, bad things about ourselves as well. Uh, but I had no, clue that I could have that much of a negative effect on everybody else around me. And, um, uh, you know, and I realized that I needed to make it go away instantaneously. How'd you do that? Um, I instituted, instituted a rule initially, first thing I did, where everyone had to say please and thank you. Mm. Um, that everyone had to listen to everybody else. Just that uh, little rule, that one thing, though, please. what yes, you'll please. do by that is you, it forces you to kind of like acknowledge and recognize people, right? Yep. Yes, please. Was yeah, that the no. intention? Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. That we were, we were going to, e- even if we didn't respect each other out of the gate, that we were going to use the niceties of uh, of you know, society and language, uh, respect and respect, you know, for each other. And then from there, we're going to move on to, you know, uh, listening actively, listening, uh, empathetically, um, using words like, um, uh, I need instead of I want, and that we would listen to things like, Hey, I need, I need this to happen versus I want that to happen. Right. Being like really intentional with your words and knowing that your words have a big deal, like weight and meaning and 
be be thoughtful of what you're saying, right? Yep, it's a really big deal. Awesome stuff. Uh, fast forward way for way 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 beyond that. Now we have a glassed in kitchen, uh, and the the whole joke between my wife and me was like that was going to be the last thing. Like uh, once the kitchen is glassed in, then the chef can't have a, a temper tantrum anymore, right? And so uh, when we opened up our restaurant, um, I knew I, I could never lose my <laughs> lose my whatever again. So they can see you, but they can't hear you. Is it soundproof glass? Uh, yes. Well, okay. ish. Yes, ish. <laughs> so you can yeah. st- you can still stay cool, calm, collected, and whisper something. Yeah. That, <laughs> no. Yeah. Yep. So um, let's moving moving on to uh, to Nora. I want to try to find out one one key thing you you drew from that experience that really helped impact and transform who you are today. Well, uh, so keep in mind that uh, Nora uh, ran for about forty years, wow. right? Um, and uh, um, Nora wrote the menu every single day in the morning. Um, so Nora, uh, the other uh, chef and myself, we had a meeting at nine o'clock. We would write the menu for the day and, uh, and then we'd cook our hearts out and then do two or 300 covers and then, um, you know, wrap everything up. We'd place orders for what we thought we were going to end up needing for the next day. Um, eight different mushroom, uh, uh, growers that we would order from, you know, five or six different seafood companies, um, I don't know, 40 different farms that we would, uh, order from, uh, we, um, only, uh, all the only proteins we did were whole animals. We had a butcher in house, uh, uh, you know, uh, five steer at a time or whatever. Right. And so every, everything we did, um, uh, every day and it was super dynamic and we had to have that nine o'clock meeting every morning, uh, to, you know, f- uh, figure out what, chart the course for what we we're going to do for the day. And then we wipe all that out. And the next day we write a brand new menu. Um, and you know, that process initially, you know, the first, you know, month or two or three months that you're, that you're doing that is incredibly challenging. Going back to what, uh, buddy Carlson used to say, you know, kick out the crutches. Uh, don't, don't rely on crutches, rely on being a good chef, right? Um, Nora kicked out the last of the crutches. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I and, can imagine you, with that level of quality of ingredient, and, and, and like this probably is where you probably where the foundation of the values you have today were really rooted. I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And I was sympathetic to those values, but I, but um, you know, being a young chef, I would, you know, keeping the same dish on the menu for uh, two or three months or whatever uh, means that you don't have to think about it as a chef anymore, and you can train the staff, and then they don't have to think about it anymore, and and whatnot. And that's good to a point, but it's also, you know, lazy mentally, you know, a little bit. Uh, But in the Nora environment um, where, uh, you know, today it's uh, it's loins and tomorrow it's sirloins and then we're going to switch into, you know, Osobuco and then the the next day it's going to be flank steaks. Right. Every single day the protein is going to change a little bit. And so, uh, you know, you're starting with the finer cuts, right? Is that is that kind of what I'm hearing from you? No, or? it would fl- it would flip. You know, it would flip all over the place. So there's, there's no there the, the pattern. Um, it turns out wasn't what we wanted to serve in the menu. It was the uh, production from our butcher, Tan. Um, and, you know, and this guy was just spectacular. He worked 60 hours a week and just, you know, cranked through um, tons and tons of protein, prepped everything, you know, perfectly for it, for us. And uh, a lot of the logistics in the back, if you can imagine receiving nine steer into a restaurant on a day or nine 12, a day or uh, on one day, right? Say. Yeah, no, no, no. It was gotcha. not, not that big of a restaurant, <laughs> um, you know, or, you know, then the lambs would uh, show up and there would be like 12 lambs or yeah. there would be six hogs or, you know, whatever it is. 
so you know Tan would have to you know he would break everything down and then um you know he had needs of what had to move first because this was in the way of that and blah 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 and interestingly the butcher station would end up driving uh, a lot of the protein you know choices based on the logistics and you know from a chef's perspective when you're just you spec out tenderloin you know pre-cut six ounce tenderloin blah 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 uh from a big food service house um you know you never have to think of any of that logistics um uh, you know, and then what? You know, what are the ingredients that you're going to throw? Yeah, you know, at that. Listening and, to you share this, I can't help but think about where you are today, where you have all these channels of communication between the different uh, stations in this restaurant, Nor- uh, uh, Nora's restaurant, um, in the communication between the butcher and the the, the cooks and the chefs, yep. and trying to is kind of like the, the same channel of communication that's going on with the farmer here in your situation with what do we have? And then that communication with the farm and the restaurant, we'll get a little bit more into the dynamics of your current situation, but you have the farm, you have two restaurants and the farm is really what determines what goes on the rest, what goes on the menu, right? It is. It ends so up. So did you learn driver. anything from that, that, that back and forth with the butcher? And is that kind of where we're oh, going or oh, is that is exactly it? Oh, beautiful. Right. So, you know, uh, fast forward to where we are today. We write the menu every day. Um, we, you know, we change everything every day. Um, the, and what we have on the farm today determines what we're going to be serving today and tomorrow. Right? So do you think that's is, where you got this, the, the foundation, these lessons to be able to communicate and work like this? It is. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, that's, um, not, not if I had not worked for, uh, Nora, um, that, that dynamic menu writing and, and f- that freeing up instead of the chef being in c- control of what's going to be on the menu, instead of, Instead of that, uh, ha- allowing the farm to have some control or the butcher station to have some control in what's going to be on the menu, um, uh, I, I, there's no way I could have handled that. Right? Yeah. It was too too big of a step. I want to distill this a, a level deeper. Um, give me something specific, uh, not necessarily about the the logistics, uh, but the something that you guys maybe it could be logistics something that you guys do to improve this channel of communication something you need to know when communicating like this take it you know what i'm saying take it to that next level to give us something concrete that we can take and apply in our own lives well so uh we have a little bit of technology right now we have uh you know this crazy text string all right here, here's how here's how it all happens it'll happen tonight like this um 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, last dishes go out. Um, all the individual stations have a little, you know, powwow. Um, here's what I'm low on. Here's what I need, you know, to, to do for tomorrow. Um, each individual cook, each individual station will come up with a, a skeleton idea of what they want their the menu to look like the following day. But it's just a skeleton, right? It's just a, a very much a rough draft. And then we collate all of all of the needs from all the stations from both restaurants into one uh, order that gets texted to the farm. Keep in mind that the first of the farm crew is uh, up and in the fields uh, by five or six in the morning, and it turns out that's actually when all the cooks are going to bed. Uh, so, we, <laughs> so we have that, you know, to uh, to deal with. So, you know, around midnight or whatever, the the text goes out to the farm crew first thing in the morning. Farm crew reads that, digests it. They'll start harvesting um, uh, through everything. They'll send a text if they have a, a bobble, like, hey, we, uh, you asked for arugula, and we're actually in between beds of arugula, so we can send you, here are your three choices, Tatsoi, Mizuna, and Chokara, uh, spicy green, whatever. And um, and then um, that text doesn't get answered until usually around 11 yeah. when, the, when the cooks are starting to wake up. Day's half over here. Exactly, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and then... Um, uh, 
uh, harvest gets completed. Uh, the last little bits uh, get harvested. It makes it into the restaurant around noon, uh, noon, 12.30. That's when the cooks arrive. And then they pick through everything, and they're like, all right, so now it's going to be arugula instead of this or that or the other thing. Um, and then, they, then they're then they able to f- sort of flesh out um, uh, all of their all the dishes that where they had written their rough draft. Um, go through prep. Prep usually finishes uh, in uh, crossing my fingers, you know, usually around 430 <laughs> to 5. Um, they uh, last uh, draft of the menu uh, gets written uh, at around 445 to 5. And you're uh, serving by 5. <laughs> we Well, no, serving by 530. Uh, we, um, we print the menu at 5. Uh, we do line up with the wait staff uh, at 510. Uh, we open the doors at 530. Um, and every, and now everything runs like clockwork, but we have to hold ourselves accountable to that schedule. Um, the schedule and, uh, the system, uh, texting back and forth and that sort of thing, um, has, uh, created uh, a lot of flexibility for us. You know, it's very, very dynamic. It can yeah. change all the way up until 445. I, yeah. And I feel like the, the big thing I'm pulling from this, I mean, obviously good communication systems, processes and schedules, right. Yep. For like repetition. And, and, but the big thing is to start with a broad general idea of what you want to do and stay in just like, and then hone it in over time. So that's right to be basically flexible and be willing to work with people and understand that it's not this person trying to screw me over. If they don't give me exactly what I want, it's kind of, this is what real cooking is. It's what's at your disposal. It's what's immediately available to you when you try to do it the slow way. Yep. Uh, yep. That, that is, uh, I mean, that's absolutely, uh, you know, the, the, the way it works. Um, to, to do it the old the, the other way, the way all the rest of the restaurants do it. Uh, chef writes the menu. Um, the beef has horseradish and arugula and celery mousse or whatever it is you know, on it. And when those ingredients come from the food service truck and they're not of great quality or they don't come at all, um, then you know, there's lots of fist pounding and lots of yelling into phones and, hey, you screwed me over because you didn't send the blah, 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 um, and, and whatnot. And for and for us, like there's there's no way we could write menus and execute menus that way with the expectation that everything had to be the same, right? Mm. You know, it's kind of like uh, in in a sense, it's kind of like uh, surfing. Like our menu writing style is very much like surfing. Um, you don't tell the wave, you know, how you want it to behave. Like yeah, you, you, you react to it. Yeah, yeah, you react to the wave as you have it. And in a surfing metaphor, everybody goes like, "Duh, of course." But you know, for chefs, that's got to be fluid. You think about water; it be. takes any form, right? You got to be ready to move into any situation and take the form that you need to take that day. That's right. To, I love it, um, man. I can't believe we haven't even tapped into your time in San Francisco. You had eight years in Colorado before even opening your your restaurant. I don't want to cut you short. Is there anything before we go to the, the first break to thank our sponsors that you mm-hmm. wanted to? to to talk about during your come up, any transformative experiences, any key mentors that we're leaving out that really influenced who you are today? Is it worth going to? Well, I think part part of the big. So uh, I can't say enough um, about uh, the impact that Nora had, um, you know, on me and and a host of other chefs mm. uh, who, uh, you know, she has you know created a foundation of really amazing, you know, clear thinking, very very good chefs. Um, uh, and then, you know, and then the other thing for me is I've always really been interested in uh, 
uh, food that fits a healthy lifestyle, not health food. You know, I'm not a big fan of sprouts on my sandwiches <laughs> and, you know, stuff like that. But, um, but food that fits a healthy lifestyle has been one of the, uh, the things that, uh, has always felt really, really good to me, you know, towards that end, uh, uh, ran a vegetarian restaurant in San Francisco. And then this resort that I, uh, uh, was hired in as the, as the chef, um, was a spa and resort. And so they were looking some, for someone who had, you know, fine dining experience. I had that, um, a lot of it, um, and someone who could cook vegetarian and, and healthy food. And that plunked me into Colorado, you know, a place with, tri- um, with, you know, triathletes, you know, all over the place. And, uh, pretty much everyone here is interested in food that fits a healthy, healthy lifestyle. state yeah. for sure. Yep. Um, was this your first hotel experience? Because up to this point, you were cooking in restaurants. Were no, you- I had one other. Uh, okay. I ran a, uh, a restaurant in a small hotel in D.C. Uh, called Brighton on N. Um, uh, really awesome experience. Really, really good. It's my first time uh, doing breakfast, lunch, dinner, room service, uh, seven days a week. 365 days a year. <laughs> um, that was a bear. That was, that was a, a lot to, uh, you know, to, to figure out and, and adjust to, and, you know, make all of the menus, you know, kind of roll into each other, but still, you know, have a, a fundamentally breakfast, yeah. breakfast menu, but had enough, uh, had enough of the prep on that, that rolled into the lunch and the dinner menu that it all made sense from an operation standpoint. So when you were coming to Colorado, um, were you looking for more stability in a resort and spa situation, whereas restaurants are kind of not as stable? No, I, no. Actually, uh, I, I came out just for a break from. Yeah. You know, I wanted to like climb a fourteener. I want to learn. Wanted to learn how looking to ride for work a horse. life balance. What was that? You're looking for work life balance. Oh, like absolutely. And I hadn't been to Colorado before, and I you know wanted a, a different experience and and that sort of thing. And I really thought I would be here in Colorado for like four or five months, and then I'd go back and get serious again from my kind of working vacation yeah. in Colorado or whatever. Did you learn how to ride a horse? Uh, I did. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so I think now's a good time to take our first break uh, to thank our sponsors and we'll start talking about the formation of uh, Black Cat Bistro or Farm Bistro how, what's the order of operation? Uh, Black Cat Bistro uh, Farm Table uh, or farm, farm Table Bistro. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> we'll come up, talk about how that came to reality. Bento Box is more, much, much more than just another restaurant website developer. It is a hospitality platform designed to disrupt third-party services that come between the restaurant and the guest. Bento Box puts the restaurant first and offers tools that drive high-margin revenue directly through the restaurant website. These tools allow you to easily update menus, promote and sell events, share your press and media attention with the world, sell gift cards, take catering orders and much much more in other words bento box puts you in control so that you can focus on what matters most your restaurant bento box is trusted and loved by over 5,000 restaurants worldwide because they empower restaurants to own their presence profits and relationships online sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable one more time that is getbento.com slash unstoppable so we're back and um i want to get into the the transitioning to when your vision for black cat started to form and started mm-hmm. to emerge like and how you started living intentionally to, to execute this vision well uh you know 
from from the very beginning, I had uh, I had visions of op- opening my own restaurant. Like I knew, uh, you know, and I'm, I've always been pretty ambitious, and uh, I knew that that was going to end up being the uh, the direction. And you know, I'm smart enough to think, you know, like when I'm 24 or 25, that uh, I, that a restaurant's probably not going to happen next year. Uh, that I needed to start laying the foundation, you know, setting the stones and uh, in, in place to, you know, to make it, you know, to that. Uh, so you had this realization when you were about 24 years old? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I, how I old were you in. when you opened your first restaurant? Um, uh, 32, 32. So eight years yeah. of living intentionally to lay that foundation. What does yep. that look like? Well, um, it was, um, uh, learn, learning all the skills that yeah. I needed to, uh, becoming a better chef, uh, uh, using the kitchens, um, uh, as a as a laboratory, uh, and it's instead of protecting myself from the things that I wasn't you know particularly good at, it was instead exposing myself to the things I wasn't particularly good at, you know, with with the idea that um, hey, you know, when I, my name is at the bottom of the paycheck, um, I can't have this restaurant fail, right? I need to make sure that I can. Uh, do all of the things that a restaurant needs, you know, adequately, whether it's, you know, repairing the stove or the blender uh, at one end to, uh, you know, understanding how payroll works and taxes and um, and making sure that my food cost is A plus all the time. And uh, were you making a list or of things that you needed to learn? Like, how are you tracking with the, the lessons you need to learn to, to be able to own your own place? Sometimes? Well, you know, a lot of that is from, you know, listening to other restaurateurs or, or uh, chefs, um, you know, uh, gripe about, you know, how and why that they're failing. So when, you know, when anyone would say, oh, man, we just got our butts handed to us from this or whatever, and I had no idea about the tax filing deadline for blah, 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 you know, my ears would, uh, my eyebrows would rise, my ears, you know, prick up, like, huh, huh, I need to be listening to that, right? So, you know, part of it is that, and then part of it is is, uh, embracing my own, you know, failures along the way, like, um, you know, a a particularly bad service happens, um, you know, and uh, then really dive into exactly why did that happen, you know, or that I'm not training a staff member, like my training of this staff member is not really successful, and they're not really getting it. Um, So then taking a step back, and instead of being willful, and, you know, kind of pig headed about like, well, I told him six times, instead, like, think, uh, think to ask the question, hey, how do you learn? It seems like my teaching isn't yeah. working, right? Yeah. And how how do you want me to tell you this? How do we how do we make it to the place that we're looking to make it to? Yeah, right? or the conversation like I've done everything I know how to do to to get you to where you are and you're still not there. Are are you on the wrong path? Is there like can I help yep. you get on the right path? Like am I am I doing you a disjustice by giving you a paycheck when you could be excelling someplace else, you yep. know, like those are the questions you learn to, to recognize these things. Yep. Right. Oh yeah. So, and it's just like learning on somebody else's dollar, failing on somebody else's dollar. Right. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> and, and fortunately none of those places went out of business. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the fails were all uh, failures were all compartmentalized yeah. um, or whatever, you know, and then, um, at, you know, after a time of this resort um, at this resort, I decided that I really loved living in, in Colorado and so then I started to think about what it would be like to open a restaurant in Colorado as opposed to going back to San Francisco. And um, uh, we, I decided – or not decided. You know, We worked on uh, a partnership with the owners of the resort um, that uh, they would help uh, fund – they would uh, give us a loan to, uh, to fund the opening of our restaurant um, – 
and uh, and we worked towards that. You know, this is interesting. Team. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of we spend time on the show talking about how to get the actual capital, how to get the fi- the, the funding. I yep. think this is a really interesting approach. I mean, you give eight years of your life to somebody, right? Yep. Um, good relationships. How do you exit a situation leaving with such good morale and um, you know, uh, what's the word? Just the the friendship, the the the, the yep. relationship that commu- that that relationship. How do you leave that relationship in a way that isn't just intact, but is funding your next project. Like right. what was your secret to that? Well, I mean, it's a, uh, um, uh, you know, there's a unique cir- circumstance that happened for me, but I think that there's a, a general, uh, principle, um, uh, that, that kind of works universally for, you know, for, for many or would work for many people. So, um, Alice and Carl, the owners of the resort, uh, uh, wanted to sell the resort. They were, they were done with hospitality. They wanted to move into the next new thing. And, um, they, uh, when they announced it to the staff that the resort was going to sell, there was kind of an exodus of staff. And, um, so, you know, and we're great friends, uh, and they're, they're really spectacular people to work for and with. And, um, so, we we decided, you know, kind of as a group. They asked, and and um, and and we, Jill and I, said yes um, uh, to uh, stick around and steward the resort um, until it sold, and then, you know, as a thank you, they would, you know, co-sign a loan, or they would loan us the money directly, or you know, they you know, however that would end up working out. And you know, fortunately, you know, we had a lot of friendship, and there, uh, we had a lot of trust with uh, Alice and Carl because they're great people. Um, and um, interestingly, it took two years from that point for the resort to sell. Uh, so Did you work in an interest deal uh, or anything like that? No, <laughs> no, we didn't. But you know, but it was you know, it ended ended up being worth it. Well, in the end, like you know, looking back at it today, it was perfectly worth it. Um, but um, you know, uh, you know, I think the the universal uh, idea is that uh, when um, individuals in hospitality make themselves indispensable um you know you work really hard you try really hard you're really really focused um you pull more than your weight um you know in in the restaurant you solve more problems than you create you know over time when you're indispensable it's recognized you got to right? give before you get you got to be that person that's willing to give all this energy this time this this level of excellence and it will come back some way, somehow, somebody's going to recognize your hustle, your, 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 um, what's the word? I guess your, your worthy of your worthiness, right? Yeah. Like you got to earn it. You can't just expect it to be to happen. You got to give before you get, and you gave everything to this, this couple and their resort. Like, of course they're going to recognize you, right? Of course they're going to, that the, the universe is paying attention. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and that I'm very fortunate that that is how it worked out uh, for, for Jill and me. You know, and of course, you know, Jill and I were super frugal and we saved yeah. up our nickels, you know, as well. So it wasn't, it wasn't like Alice and Carl just handed us a, rest, a restaurant or whatever. Uh, we really did. Was it fully funded? Um, uh no, they didn't fully fund. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was a very, very much a partnership. Okay. Uh, but they, uh, they covered all the gaps. Right? Okay. And, so and are you we still partners to, open... to this day, or did you pay off their their percentage? Uh, we 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 have a little bit to left to pay, nice. um, but we make our, our almost ste- there. Our, almost there. Our steady process. Awesome. Um, and you know, and we've kept the banks out of it, uh, yeah, which has been you know awesome. It was really Beautiful. been spe- spectacular as well. Um, it, you know, and I think uh, it is. Um, uh, I think it's a way. Uh, that most people, you know, probably should approach um, restaurants. 
when it happens that way, generally, I think the restaurants are more successful. Um, the, 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 the operators, the people doing it have learned, uh, they've made the mistakes. They've, uh, they've figured everything out. Mm. Um, uh, they really know, you know, up from down, uh, when a restaurant just gets plunked in your lap, um, then, you know, there's a lot of opportunity, uh, to, to make mistakes uh, so along the way. Was your original vision for black cat going to be a farm and bistro or did the farm just kind of land in your lap a year after? How did this all happen? Yeah, no, it, uh, it, it, m- my vision was a lot like uh, restaurant Nora where everything would come locally, a uh, whole animal butchery, um, where if a diner were to sit in the dining room, looking at the menu that, um, you know, while the menu described the dishes, it really described as well the farming community ar- around the town. You know, that the asparagus came from this person and the, the beef came from that person and the wheat came from that person and so, so on and so forth. Um, uh, it, you know, it turns out that uh, in the front range, um, uh, you know, 15 years ago when we were, uh, you know, starting to put the pieces of the restaurant together, the farming community was not able to sustain a restaurant. There weren't enough pieces. Um, there wasn't enough production, and there weren't enough uh, pieces of the puzzle uh, together at that you time. Couldn't pull enough resources from the community to make the restaurant whole. Yep, exactly. Gotcha. Right. So, and the scenario would be uh, would be this. You know, we we opened. Uh, I would go to the farmers market, and you know, I wanted to put uh, you know grilled. Um, asparagus with prosci- wrapped in prosciutto or something on the menu, and so I was uh, I would look for you know ten or fifteen pounds of asparagus to make it through the window, and uh, the the weekend rather, and then um, I would go to one um, one farmer after another. Hey, can I buy all of your asparagus? No. How about yours? <laughs> no. How about yours? No. How about yours? No. You know, and I'd end up uh, not being able to supply the restaurant based on the stuff that I could get from the local farms. Um, the uh, uh, there there just wasn't the additional production to be able to handle uh, a restaurant in the way I wanted it to so happen. You, so the the vision for you, the garden or your your farm was that just to be supplemental to like exactly got you yeah yeah and I so it you know and the the issue in that is that I have uh, uh, maybe I have control issues right so I'm told no at the farmers market a lot and then I think to myself well. I mean, how hard could growing asparagus possibly be? <laughs> what, what could possibly go wrong? Well, how hard could it, it be to open a restaurant? restaurant? Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And so then, you know, uh, I, you know, I had this big garden, big big garden, and then I double, and, you know, and I supplement the the restaurant a little bit with it, and then I I thought, you know, I lo- and I love it. I love the garden. Um, every morning, slippers, mug of coffee. Water, you know, I'm still in, still in my pajamas, puttering around. <laughs> it's so awesome to spend my mornings that way, and then you know, harvest some stuff, and then go into the restaurant, cook my heart out, um, and then um, so I doubled the size of the garden, uh, and then I doubled it again. Uh, and it was this is all a, in the first year because uh, uh, the garden started before the restaurant. Okay, um, okay, and uh, and then you know doubled it in the first year of the restaurant. By the end of the first year of the restaurant, it was a third of an acre. So um, did you start the supplementing uh, for the hotel? Is that where the supplementation began? Working in the hotel to pull uh, um, the spa. Sorry, I, yeah, I, I started a little tiny business, uh, an ice cream shop. Okay, uh, with and cafe. 
um, which uh, lasted for about three or four years um, in in the uh, in the interim, in gotcha, and gotcha. Uh, and uh, a lot of the garden stuff went into you know soup and little salads and sandwiches at this little uh, uh, kind of shishi. Was it meant to be shop. temporary, or were you hope, lo- looking to hold on to that while you scaled into the, the black hat and everything else? Yeah, I was look- looking to hold on to it, um, and it turns out that. Um, uh, uh, tasting ice cream all day long uh, <laughs> is uh, really, really challenging. Initially, you know, initially it's great, and then after a while, the sugar hits you, and then I, then oh man, <laughs> it's just too much. Right? I got you. Not a good fit for me. So that was your first business, uh, and yeah. Black Hat. These two businesses, knowing what you know now, reflecting back at your first business and your second business, which is still open to this day. Yeah. What were your lessons? What do you What do you wish you knew then? Going into these businesses, uh, going back almost fifteen years ago. Yeah, well, I, the, the big thing I learned after, let's say, year year one or two of uh, having the ice cream shop, and I really had this gut check of, you know what, um, uh, what, you know, whenever you're in a restaurant, uh, you're just going to spend a ton of your life in the restaurant. It's just going to be a lot of time, mm-hmm. um, and 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 there's no way around that. Good restaurants uh, require. Uh, the owners or the chefs just to invest the time all the time um, uh, to be there. And uh, you, and if you're going to do that, you've earned the right to surround yourself with the people you love, like that you love spending all this time with. Um, uh, in other words, anyone who's a jerk doesn't last long in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, because, if you're be right, there, you might as well enjoy it with the people oh, you're surrounding yourself right, with. Absolutely. Yeah. And the work needs to be a good fit for who you are. And I real, realize that in this ice cream shop, uh, as much as the creative part was really interesting, you know, surrounding myself with pure sugar all the time made me feel depressed uh, mm. all the time. And in the end, I didn't really like the work. And so, you know, so I had this gut check. I was like, well, if, I, if I'm going to be doing this work, what do I really want to do? Where's the, pa- like, where is my passion? Um, and, um, you know, and that's fine dining. Um, I love uh, fine dining. I love cooking great ingredients. I love the intensity and the the, the creative part. Um, you know, I love uh, going out to brunch uh, to other people's brunch places, but I'm not a big fan of cooking brunch. So, you know, all the what time, drew right? you to ice cream in the first place? Was it? Do you think it was going to be a good money generator? Is that what? It, do you think the bottom line was going to be more sustainable than a restaurant? Um, uh, I thought that it was a good stepping stone towards uh, business ownership, right? Why is that? that? Well, um, you know, ice cream shop is a smaller, a smaller capital outlay. Uh, it's a, it's a much more simple business. Um, it's, uh, something where I could have a production day. You have and, to, sorry, keep going, going. No. And then, and then hand it off to, you know, you know, four or five high school kids to yeah. like, you know, dish you don't need a culinary right? degree to scoop that exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that, exactly. Right. So, um, and that was, that was the idea. And, and, you know, and we did amazing, you know, organic, uh, pretty spectacular, uh, ice cream, um, uh, like crazy flavors, uh, really good one that smelled one that tasted like roses, um, uh, it was really, really spectacular. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. Um, so you made the decision to, to, to lean into your true passion, which is fine dining. Uh, did you sell the ice cream place or did you just close the doors? Uh, we, uh, we 
close the doors, uh, but we we still to this day we retain uh, the the space, and so we, we lease that out. So uh, now you have an, another asset, another channel of revenue. Yeah, that's right, physical yeah. space. Yeah, now okay. it's a it's a really spectacular little uh, neighborhood Mexican restaurant. Um, you know, we helped a first generation yeah. person opened up open up her first restaurant. Uh, so we're we're super happy with that. And I think you make uh, another kind of like below the radar point is that a lot of people go for their dream restaurant on day one. And the thing is, you got to scale into it, right? You, you, now you have this asset that you're getting a paycheck rent, right? Right. That can go into sustaining your other business, right? It's another. So you're not completely relying on uh, that one restaurant to cover the bills. You have a little something extra, and I think, and plus, I mean, it's just easier to start small and scale into something greater, right? Yeah, and that that certainly was the idea. And you know, my mistake was, uh, you know, ice cream versus, you know. If it had been, let's say, a sandwich shop or yeah. something else like that, uh, still entry level, we'd probably still be operating it today. Yeah. Um, but, you know. So um, what was that first year at the restaurant like? You, you get the doors open, uh, first year at the restaurant, knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently in that first year? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> oh, the first year in a restaurant, right? There's no um, – one, one of the like, – so restaurant, when you know what you're doing and you, you have systems and whatnot – in a restaurant, um, and you have experience in a restaurant, uh, everything is really hard. It's still really hard. But in that first year in the restaurant, you have no systems. Like, where does the toilet paper go? Where do you put this? Where do you put that? Even with like 18 years or how many ever years of experience you had prior, it's a new framework. It's a new space. You yep. gotta, you gotta, you know, sometimes the space determines the systems, right? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And, and then sometimes the, uh, and then sometimes the, the, the processes, uh, uh, determine that you misdesign the space. You know, oh, most people are right-handed instead of left-handed, but the yada yada is over on the left-hand side, and so everyone has to crane their neck over sideways in order to make <laughs> a, you know, a mug of you know cocoa or whatever it is. Right? Uh, there's a lot of a lot of that. You know, happens, uh, and it's really hard to sort through everything. So that's like the fit, the physical layout, and like li- literally where the toilet paper goes. Of course, that's a huge challenge. Um, but, uh, at the same time, um, you, when you open up a brand new restaurant, you have no culture. And I'm a big believer that, uh, culture, restaurant culture, um, is, uh, one of the biggest determinants of either success or failure. If you have a great culture, if you have a culture that works for you, uh, then the staff, uh, the vast majority of the time ends up making the right decision. They do the right thing. And if you have a culture that's not working for you um, or you haven't developed a culture, then you end up having to be the babysitter and make minute uh, – you have to get into the minutia to make all these little tiny decisions. And, um, you know, in the end, there's just not enough time in the day and none of us have enough brain power to hold all of that, you know, sort of, you know, stupidity in our heads you know, for a really long period of time. And um, uh, so that was one of my big, you know, things at the very beginning um, was, you know, creating a culture uh, of success and, and so whatnot. So a lot of people would, would say put the systems, processes, procedures first and then start working. And I don't know if I agree with that. I think mm-hmm. um, you, you create that culture from, well, culture is omnipresent. Like culture, whether you want to admit it or not, is present on day one because it's what is happening right there in that moment. The attitude of everybody right there in that moment. You might not have the time to influence everybody's opinions and values in a day, but over 
over time you, you you know you you set that 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 framework that foundation how did you set that framework that found that foundation that culture early on how did you cement that and then was it once you got that set you started focusing on like fine-tuning the systems and cementing the systems is that kind of how it rolled out no you have to do them both at the same time which is you know and that's the you know in in the first year that's what makes it so hard right you start with uh you start with nothing so yes you have to you know you create all the systems at the very beginning that the you know the 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 bank drop at the end of the day has to be reconciled with the blah 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 um that uh you know that you're tracking all of your hours that you're uh, working on inventory and food cost on day one, um, and uh, you know, and and whatnot, that all has to happen. But um, uh, the I, from my perspective, the owner has to be making um, statements about the how and the why, and the what's important and the what's not important. Um, uh, starting from a week before the restaurant, so opens. you're just echoing these. They're just stating them out loud. Do you commit them to writing at this point? Are they being teached? How's, how, how's yeah, it look? I, I'm uh, I'm a big believer that uh, having a pres having a presence and saying what you believe in, uh, saying that it matters to you, or saying frankly that it doesn't matter to you. That I'm not worried about that. Saying, I, you know what, I'm not. Re- I hear you, but I'm not worried about that. That's a really powerful statement, especially in a brand, a brand new restaurant. Um, it's equally as powerful as saying, "Hey, you know what? This is really important. I want everyone to pay attention to what's going on right here. This is super important." Um, that uh, we can write all of that stuff down into a binder, and we can have everyone take a test on what's in that binder. Um, and then that binder goes up on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to hold everyone accountable to that, I can hire someone to be my policeman to stand in there and say, hey, well, you remember on page three, section two, line two, it said this, and you initialed it at the yeah, bottom, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yes, that's a possibility, but uh, but I think that it's, a, um, it's an inferior uh, method to being there and interpreting for people it live. Um, I say it all the time behind every great restaurant, a great person and the culture is an extension of that person's vision, mission and values, right? And you inject that into the people you recruit that live the same mission and vision that you set forth. Right. And then you, you write down these principles, these values, and then you share those values. What you're doing is you're, you're creating the next generation of professionals, right? Like it is, it isn't just a transaction. Like it's, it's more than that. It's, it's like you're giving these people the foundation to go on and do their own thing. And you're injecting everything they're going to need. Right. Yep. From day one, and we need to look at it that way. Um, so, how long did it take you to to have that foundation of the values and the principles? You had them on day one. Did you commit them before opening the doors? Or is it something that evolved over time? No, uh, I, it's still evolving. Yeah, right? and that, yeah I'm happy a, you said li- that. It's a living, you know, it's a living thing. You know, obviously, there's a lot less chaos now than there yeah. was, um, you know, at the very beginning. And you know, and I and I I say this actually out to everyone that hey, my goal is when a problem like this happens in the future that you know how I'm going to react to it already. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, no surprises. That's yeah. a, another one of the mantras like, Hey, uh, we, you know, we managerially, we want no surprises to ever happen in the, in the restaurant. If we have a surprise, that means that I haven't done a good enough job of, uh, teaching training and whatnot. Um, um, and, uh, and, you know, fortunately we're much, much better and we have some staff who's been, you know, with us and, you know, a lot of staff in between, let's say six and 
12 years, um, which is awesome, right? And holding on to culture. That's amazing, yeah. yeah holding on to culture for a long time, um, you know, is really, is really a good thing. Um, so, you know, going back to it, uh, you know, having the presence and interpreting it for everyone, enculturing everyone at, at the, uh, at the beginning, um, and, uh, um, you know, and, and trying to lead, you know, as in the beginning, instead of just saying, Hey, it's going to be like this, we're going to do apples instead of oranges or whatever. Um, it would instead be, um, uh, to throw it out to people, Hey, here are the ultimate goals, um, this is how I would do it, uh, but I'm curious to hear how you would do it. And taking a little extra time, an extra five minutes to hear the back and forth, understand uh, you know other people, other new employees' uh, per- perspectives on it. Um, always making sure that it's going to end up going in in a direction yeah. that's you know that's correct. So there's a huge nugget in that, and which is opening yourself up to different perspectives. All the minds that we have surrounded ourselves with that's potential energy, and we need to open up the gates to that potential energy and let people weigh in because they might have a way of doing something, a perspective, knowledge, or just a natural gift of seeing things, and they can add value to the group. They can add value. That's all energy that you're not tapping. Yep. So you got to open up those channels. You got to let people know it's okay to share your your input. Give them ask them don't just wait for them to say something like make make them say something yeah you know we uh us uh we are always better than me right Mm. we're always uh, all of us together can do much much more than i can do myself it's always that's that's just a principle that's you know that's always uh going to be the way it goes and i i think uh the owner's the the owner the necessary the necessary part for the owner is to have the mission the vision the values this is what i care about this is what success looks like. Um, this is what's negotiable. This is what's not negotiable. I'm never, there are a bunch of things I'm never, ever willing to negotiate uh, in the restaurant. Uh, or they're, they're so absolute. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'm not willing, I, I'm willing to listen to your perspective, but I'm not willing to ever change. For example, um, having a safe workplace. I'm never willing to have, um, to value an employee in the restaurant who makes the safe for uh, the space for all of us unsafe, right? It's, it's, it isn't worth it. It's, yeah. and it never is going to be worth it. So, um, walking in as an owner and, you know, say, and saying, Hey, here's, here's what I believe in. Here's, here's what success looks like. Here's what you can negotiate with me. Here are the absolutes. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, you know, holding everybody accountable to that, right? I, I love this. And just to kind of regurgitate like what I'm pulling from you. And I think a lot of people, when they open a restaurant, they feel they, they read all the books, right? The culture mm-hmm. books. And they're like, we need a mission statement, a, a vision, and all our core values and everything needs to be set in stone from day one. And it's good to have a general direction, but what I'm hearing from you is you don't need to have necessarily all that on day one because you are those things and how you show up every day is a testament to what your core values are and what your, your mission is. And you don't need to have it figured out exactly on day one, but, but know that you are the embodiment of all those cultural things and the way that you show up every day is how everyone else is going to show up. And then over time, as you get clarity and as you find the words, then start working things down as you want to start transitioning yourself out of the business to maybe work on another project, like starting a farm, like you need yep. to put, you need to put these things on paper. So when people do start steering away from the, the, the standard that you set by being there with your presence, other people can say, listen, like, this is how we do things like this is the way that we agreed to be here. Yep. Because you have to replace yourself, your presence with words if you're not physically there. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's a, that's, that is absolutely uh, the case. And th- there's a second 
part of it, a little hidden part, which I think creates uh, lasting uh, and really durable, sustainable value, you know, to an organization. Um, you know, the the first part is making it clear, which make when you're clear, it makes it easy on decision making for the rest of the staff, uh, which, which is I think is is really important. So when you're when you're clear on the the non negotiable stuff, you're also clear on the negotiable stuff. And uh, for staff, new staff, old staff, it doesn't it doesn't matter. When you allow things to be negotiable, some things, you've determined what those things are. When you uh, allow uh, space for people to be creative and problem-solving and think through, you have uh, – You've created staff that uh, value their experience. So instead of just doers, they're thinkers. Uh, instead of just um, you know reacting to what's going on, now they're designers of their future. Um, in some ways, it gives them uh, a power. Empowerment is the word that's coming to my mind right, right. now. Power yeah. over what their future is going to look like. Um, and and you know what? Those people are really engaged. Mm. Right? And and so I. Um, resist, uh, you know, I've done this for a long time. I've cooked for a long time. I've been a restaurateur for a long time. I've made a lot of mistakes uh, along the way. And uh, I still find myself resisting the desire to say, oh, what you need to do is this, right? Instead, it's a, uh, I, now I, I try to phrase it like, well, um, when I was in your situation, I did this and it worked pretty well. Um, so that's one option, but I'm really curious, and I love the phrase, I'm really curious. I'm really curious to hear uh, your thoughts on it. Like, where do yeah. you think we should go so, with So this? basically, like, you're you're showing them what the end result should be, but you don't care how they get there. And you get there this way, but they might figure out a way that they can put a little bit of their own brand on, a little bit of their own charm on to get to the end product that might be better or more efficient than the way you're doing it. But you got to keep yourself open to those possibilities, and you do that by letting them know that you are curious of what their perspective is, what their thoughts are. Yeah. I mean, that's, exa that's exactly it. The end result for all restaurateurs should be non-negotiable, right? Success. Yeah. We're, we're going to be successful. Uh, um, but you know, in the end, uh, do we get there my way, your way? I mean, it doesn't really matter so long as, so long as we're there. But if it's part of their way, then they're going to have a sense of ownership. They're going to have a sense of like, I'm contributing to this. They're going to have a sense of I'm being recognized because this is my way. And that's going to feed into their higher needs, right? Yep. That's going to make them stick around. Right. Awesome stuff. Um, I can't believe we haven't even talked about your, your other restaurant, uh, your second restaurant, um, hair in uh, uh, Bramble and hair, right? Yep. Am I saying it correctly? Bramble and hair, Bramble and hair. Um, and we haven't really even spoken about the farm, which, by the way, I'm sitting in – we are sitting in the barn on your property at the farm. Um, all I can smell right now is basil. Uh, <laughs> is that what I'm smelling? Basil? Yeah, yeah basil. basil. Um, and it's just like it's so hard to focus on what you're saying. It smells so good. But fortunately, the conversation is good, so it's not that hard to focus on what you're saying. Uh, but paint this picture of, of you know how this formed and where are you spending most of your – how did you get away from the, the, the restaurant after one year to be able to focus on the farm? Or was right. it kind of like a – take us through that bounce, like that, that – sure setting up your life to be able to manage multiple projects at once. Yeah. Well, you know, um, nothing starts out the way you think. And, um, um, and when you first start it, uh, you're going to score a C minus and then the next year, hopefully a B plus. Right. Um, so, you know, the, uh, the first year, um, uh, uh, there was so much to learn at the farm. I had never driven a tractor before. Yeah. Uh, I had been a gardener, and there's a big difference between farming and gardening. Uh, you know, you're still growing uh, plants, but mass know, production is a different yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's oh, so many different processes. So many more things can go wrong when you're a farmer than when you're a gardener, um, or whatever. So, 
you know, so there's a huge learning curve. I spent um, the whole winter as we were approaching uh, opening up, you know, land and becoming a, uh, you know, farming at, at scale. I spent that whole winter teaching myself everything um, that I could, uh, driving a tractor, you know, but different equipments, uh, you know, how to plant, uh, all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, I decided in that first year that um, that there was a, too much uh, to to learn, and so I limited. So I, I made roughly eighty percent of what uh, we were. I was going to do in that year be things that I I felt really confident with things uh, that I had already grown before. Um, I left you know twenty percent of it was just operating a farm, um, getting the tractor to start in the morning. For, yeah. You know, for example, that that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, and then in year two, uh, then I started expanding out. Uh, uh, still in that eighty twenty formula, which incidentally is a great uh, mix for me. Um, other people are more ninety ten. Other people are more you know sixty forty or whatever. Eighty um, percent of what I try to do every year, I've done and I feel great about. I know I'm going to score an A on it. Um, and the other twenty percent is a crapshoot. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's not a crapshoot because I do my research. Uh, you know, I spend a lot of time researching and yeah, figuring things out. Yeah, you could say out, the twenty percent right? is for you because you have a passion, you have an interest, and I think a, a passionate person is always needs to feed the funnel, right? Yep. They always oh, need to true. find that they need that next thing to learn. Right? That's true. Yeah. Well, in fact, when I hit the wall, you know, cooked now for twenty something years or whatever, uh, when I hit the wall and I stopped learning. Um, uh, you know that the the farm came along, and uh, and now I'm learning all the time, yeah. right? So the you know feeding the feeding the learning fire yeah. uh, has always been uh, you know a big thing for me. But really what about important. what was going on at the restaurant where you were able to have the bandwidth? To, I mean, does Boulder just quiet down so much in the winter that you you could get away to focus on this stuff, or did you build up a team to the point? Did you surround yourself with the right people to be able to handle the restaurant without your presence? Yeah, it was a little of all those things. Um, so, you know, our restaurant doesn't have a patio, and so, um, you know, summertime sales, June sales is actually one of our uh, slower times of the year, um, and, um, you know, which, which helped a little bit, um, and it was, it was, frankly, it was really hard on the staff. I asked for a huge amount of change uh, to happen, uh, probably too much change, and I was a little too devoted in the first two years you know, to, to the farm, uh, a lot of the staff, you know, sort of made it through that, through that time. Um, but it was frankly impossibly difficult on them and on, uh, on, uh, Jill and myself, uh, as well. You know, when, when you think, oh, well, this, you know, guy has a couple of restaurants and he has a, you know, big farm and he has four kids and blah, 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 so much stuff going on. It's and exactly whatnot. what people are thinking. Yeah. exactly what I was <laughs> thinking. It, it is, it, it was, it's not now, but it was in those first couple of years is exactly as manic and challenging and, um, overwhelming as you can envision it. You it said was, it was impossible. It was really, really hard. Did you fail really, really hard. in your eyes? Did you come short to where you wanted to be? There were so many, uh, no, no, no. It was, uh, I mean, we're still going, so it was yeah, successful, but right? And you're so, like, you know how people are in this industry. Like if it's not exactly the way, the way uh, they want it, like they feel like they're a failure. Nah, you know? I, I gave up on, you know, <laughs> yeah. being a, obsessed about, um, yeah. uh, uh, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm obsessed about not failing, but I have given up on beating myself up about my failures, right? Oh. Now I love the failures. 
I don't want to fail. It's a part of life. Yeah. Uh, but if you're not failing, you're not going fast enough. You know, you're not agree. pushing the envelope. I agree. Yeah. I agree completely. And, you know, I, uh, so in, in that fall, first frost came, uh, and incidentally, we're going to have first frost in a couple of days here. Uh, so it's sort of a fitting time at the end of that first year of full scale farming, when the first frost fell and you know, it kills off a bunch of stuff and all of a sudden the pressure is gone. Um, then, um, I started to take stock um, and I, I think uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is that I had the time and the perspective, um, the, the clear thinking to take stock of the successes and the failures of that first year um, and, and then really hone in on the, on the successes. You know, instead of obsessing about, oh, this didn't turn out and that didn't turn out. Um, so, for example, I planted 600 tomato plants that first year. Um, and I think I probably only brought in 20 pounds of tomatoes. Um, those tomatoes uh, were probably $95 a pound. Wow. Uh, like so stupidly exp- – like <sighs> was such a failure. Um, but I didn't focus on that. Instead, I focused on all the things. What you learned not to do. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. right? Uh, get better at tomatoes certainly. Um, but um, – you know, hey, in that first year, I learned how to design an irrigation system. I figured out all the math. I taught myself how to do that. Um, I, I uh, figured out how to drive a tractor, not particularly straight, uh, <laughs> but uh, I was able to. I uh, was able to do it. Uh, we opened up a booth at the farmers market, and we were selling things, selling vegetables at, at the farmers market. Um, we had customers that at the end of that first year at the farmers market who didn't know we had a restaurant, who thought I was a good farmer. <laughs> Crazy, crazy. <laughs> I love it. So really what I'm extracting is, is focus on the good. You know, we can choose to focus on the bad, but we have free will. We get to choose where we put our focus. If we focus on the good, we focus on what we've achieved, we're going to show up a little bit better than if we were negative, focusing on the bad. And what we do, how do we start this conversation? People are attracted to the energy you're putting out. Yep. So if you're focused on things you're not achieving and you're just carrying this cloud over you all the time, you're going to continue to go in that, that direction. So you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. You need to surround yourself with people. If you're being a dink all the time because you're in a miserable mood, you won't have the people to surround yourself with to, to do it right. You know, yep. So uh, I think people are getting the point. Did I cut you short? No, no, no. Um, I mean, we haven't even talked about your um, your other restaurant. I mean, I, we, we got to start to think about wrapping up the conversation to get to the speed round. But anything that I don't want to cut you short, is there anything you were hoping we would bring to this conversation that we haven't yet gotten the chance to discuss. Now's the time. No, I, I, I just wanted to go back to the, you know, the, the idea for Jill and I is, is that, you know, sort of surfing metaphor, right? Uh, there's success, there's failure. Um, we, we have the, this long-term vision of what success looks like and, uh, and yeah, the waves push us around, you know, a little bit. Uh, but so long as we're focused on that end point, uh, and we're, and we fear, free ourselves up, you know, from, you know, limiting expectations or, um, you know, or, or whatever it is, we free ourselves up from that and we build up the staff at the same time. Uh, we create, you know, people who are committed, you know, it's, it, in the end, it, that, that's the, that's the framework that creates, uh, success, uh, where everything changes every single day, where the frost comes and it wipes out all the basil, (laughs) where, you know, like, uh, you know, whatever the disaster is, I think we have an organizational culture uh, and structure um, uh, and, you know, and mindset that, that allows us to, yeah. to, to overcome it all. 
So one, one question specific to what you do, I think a lot of people are moving in the direction or trying to move in the direction of being more sustainable, being more slow food, sourcing locally, sourcing from their own sources. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice do you have for that person that's listening to this who, who's inspired by what you've been able to achieve? Yeah, um, it, it is, uh, you know, going back to what I said before about creating this rough draft framework uh, of, a, a rough, of a skeleton of a dish. So, you know, when you spec out a dish and you make it, uh, exact when everything is exacting, uh, then um, uh, then everything has to fall into place. Otherwise, it's not going to be successful. Instead, so for example, if you put risotto on the menu with market vegetables, right? Guests in the dining room are going to be jazzed with risotto with market vegetables, yeah. right? And you've left it you've left it wide open. Yeah, whatever you. Uh, harvest, uh, whatever you get from the farmer's market is going to end up yep. being great in that dish. And it's really easy to write menus like that to create space for change. So um, just the big lesson I'm, I'm learning, I'm hearing is to start loose, right? That, like you said, that framework, the skeleton version of whatever it is you want to do. And then as you start to realize what you're, what you're actually going to be able to work with that day at say two or three o'clock, in the afternoon, <laughs> yep. that's when you start really like rounding it off. Yep. Like that, that's the big lesson. That's right. right. And then during lineup, uh, when you say, oh, man, we have this really spectacular Swiss chard that's going to go where there are little rye, uh, sautéed rye dumplings, you know, blah, blah, blah. That enthusiasm is infectious, and the wait staff pick it up, and then they say, well, so we have this dish, rye flour dumplings, blah, 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 and then the Swiss chard that the chef is putting with it today came from the market, and it's so spectacular, and then all of a sudden, boom, it flies, mm. right? So you've you've turned your lemon, I don't know what I'm going to do in the future, <laughs> into lemonade, um, excitement. And a, a great sales pitch mm-hmm. uh, for for people in the dining room. Yeah, and I think that's another underlying uh, lesson right there is do everything with enthusiasm because oh, yeah. even if it isn't exactly what you wanted it to be because the ingredient changed, still deliver it to your team with that same level of enthusiasm because they're gonna they're gonna pick up on that enthusiasm and tr- like channel it straight to the guests. So Indeed. great stuff. Um, one last question before we thank our sponsors one more time and go into the speed round. The mission statement of this podcast is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So how have you transformed? Who are, who are you today versus the man you were getting started? Well, uh, you know, we're uh, obviously all about local. We're, uh, we haven't talked about sustainability, but, you know, leaving the world, leaving the industry in a better place than I came into it. Uh, creating a model for uh, successful, sustainable restaurants out into the future—that—that um, that is uh, the—that's the hidden, you know, drive uh, behind. You know, we take care of guests in the in the dining room, but I'm not willing to do that in a way that trashes the environment at the same time. Mm. Um, I'm really uh, interested in uh, closing all of the loops. Uh, he, you know. Wouldn't it be amazing if restaurants, instead of trashing the world, were an agent for healing the planet? Yeah. Right? Couldn't, wouldn't it be great if um, uh, we were able to sequester carbon in the soil through farming practices that fed the restaurants so that we could literally have our cake and eat it yeah. too? Right? I do think that it's going to be this industry, this great industry that changes the world because of the influence we have on everybody. I mean, we, we feed the everyone you know we we feed people and food is life and we're the closest to it and we're gonna i think the values that we're developing in this industry are going to transfer to the the rest of the 
the world, the rest of people. Well, we're going to inject those values back in. And thank you for being one of those people who are doing it so well. Thank you so much. And uh, one more quick break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've you got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integrated training and communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best in breed client experience team. They'll take you from goal setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Flexibility. What is your biggest weakness? Flexibility. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, You'd biggest. be surprised how often people's weaknesses are <laughs> also right. their strengths. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, uh, maybe it's that I'm uh, I'm interested in change too much. Okay. Uh, maybe a little distracted. Sure. Okay. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're recruiting your team? A question you're asking that person during the interview or something you're looking for specifically? Um, how excited they are about things. Pe- mm. People who are excited, um, you know, are, are great to be around. What's your biggest challenge today? Uh, recruiting, uh, getting uh, getting enough staff. We're we're in a um, there's not that many cooks around. How are you handling that challenge? Um, uh, well, the first thing is doubling down on all the people that we have. You know, you fall in love with them and make sure that it's a place that they love working in. Uh, and then, you know, it's to put the ads out there and uh, and and talk to people. Love it. What is one code of conduct or behavior, core value you teach your team? Um, uh, talk about what you need. 
um, and listen to other people uh, very intently when they use the word need. That's a that's a very intense, loaded word mm-hmm. in our in our restaurant. I need this means everyone's going to listen. Take it seriously. Yep. It's like declaring an emergency if you're yep. a pilot, right? Yep, that's it. That's exactly it. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is a way to go above and beyond to serve your guests. Something that's common within your four walls, but not common within the industry. Uh, well, uh, we believe in unconditional service. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna provide service uh, for the guests without conditions. Instead of my conditions on what service looks like, it's instead um, what their conditions look like. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. What is one book that makes a better person or restaurant owner? Well, uh, most transformative to me was Zen and the Art, Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, partially from you know the the lessons that you learn in it, and then uh, partially. Uh, just from the reading of it. Great what story. The, what was the biggest lesson you, you, you drew from that book or just one lesson that comes to mind? Well, it's, it's uh, being focused on excellence, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, the, the point of all of the things that come together um, uh, ends up being doing things excellent, mm-hmm. uh, excellently, to do, do things really, really well. Awesome. And what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Um, uh, mentor their staffs. Right. Be there. Uh, so uh, all, all the young, you know, 18, 22, 26, 32 year old uh, employees who uh, we bring in uh, to the restaurant, they're all a work in progress. I was a work in progress. We all are. Um, and um, and school doesn't end. Learning doesn't end at the end of school. Yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, it's my job to, to create better people. Yes. Right. Yes. And that's what the show is all about. Thank you so much for saying that. We, I feel like we live in a very transactional society, right? We've become very transactional. We, we, we're not transformative. We forget that we have a responsibility to our employees yep. beyond the Agreed. paycheck. Right. Agreed. Yep. I love it. Great I'm stuff. Mentor in chief in the restaurant. Yeah, I love it. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls? That's had a huge impact on operations, communications, profitability, efficiency, anything along those lines. Yeah. Well, um, you know, in, in the kitchen, in terms of operations, uh, we love our Altosham. We're able to dial in to a specific cooking temperature. Um, I, I've stopped burning things, nice. <laughs> which is great. The the uh, the the pork shoulder confit never turns out dry. Altosham, right? what is that? Real quick, is it so a- Altosham is a is a you know is a brand name. There's a Winston CVAP is another uh, another thing. It's a it is a radiant heat oven uh, where you can uh, combination heat. Humidity, uh, heat and humidity, uh, right? And so uh, you can cook things slowly uh, at the at the exact perfect temperature. So it's kind of like an immersion circulator, but yeah. you know, for a whole ham instead of yep. you know, little you've got pieces, a right? incredible control because, like you mentioned, you can have those settings, but you're also cooking with humidity and moisture, so it's way more efficient, and you don't right. lose nearly as much like moisture from the meat because you're not transferring that moisture out of the meat. That's right, or whatever. You got it. Awesome. Anything else I'm missing? Well, and then you know a lot of the cloud-based stuff that we do right now uh, has been has been great. We just uh, switched our um, our uh, twenty nine hundred do- uh, bottle uh, uh, selection wine list into barcoding, um, and we uh, uh, Jill did all the the programming. What co- what company is this? Uh, no, uh, uh, we we oh, we in-house. we wrote the code. Nice, uh, yeah. And uh, so uh, switching inventory into barcoding uh, initially was a bear, uh, but we uh, we just did a huge uh, inventory, and it took about an hour and a half. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Oh God! If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your restaurants, and your work would be lost. 
with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Well, uh, n- number one is, uh, you know, uh, become attached to success, uh, but not on the method uh, to reach success. Um, leave the world a better place uh, than than uh, how you found it. Um, and uh, and for me, I think maybe even the most important of, of all of those is uh, uh, force yourself to celebrate all the little successes along the way, right? Um, that, uh, that, you know, this is my one... Uh, shot at life and I want to enjoy all of it instead of being mired in the, oh, this didn't work right or that didn't work right. Uh, when something works right, spend the time to go, woohoo, yes. it happened, I yeah. did it. Celebrate right? life. I love Celebrate it. Celebrate it. I love it. Great stuff. Oh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator? That's how I found you. Mm-hmm. The MX Sisters calls you out. Who's one restaurant operator you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Well, I, I think Kelly Whitaker from Basta is just a crazy, crazy That's Big Red talented. F, right? Uh, no, no? He, he has his own uh, his own restaurant. Okay. Um, I, crazy talented chef. Um, just, uh, just really, really, really everything he touches, you know, turns out really well. Um, but I do have to say one of my, uh, biggest, uh, one of the biggest mentors for me, Dave Query, who owns mm. all the big red F yeah. restaurants. The guy is a uh, past guest on the show. Uh, he's just amazing. amazing for our community. He's yep. done, he's done a huge amount to lift us all up. All right, and that was uh, the first name was uh, Kelly. Kelly Whitaker. Kelly Whitaker. Look at I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you in this melting pot of mentors and let the folks at home know how can we connect with you if maybe we are transitioning to a farm, a full, true farm to table restaurant. We have some questions, or maybe we just want to have you. Maybe we want to come join your team. Maybe we liked mm-hmm. what you share with us today, and we want to come get mentored by you. What's the best way to connect? Well, uh, shoot me an email. Super, super easy. Um, and uh, I'll have that email in the show notes if you want to share it with us here. Yep, absolutely. And then, you know, come out, visit the farm, uh, see what we're doing. Uh, there's uh, there's plenty to share out here. Yeah. I may put you to work uh, yeah. along the way. And I'm actually on the farm right now. We have some cameras rolling. I'm still, getting, still learning the whole camera thing. Hopefully, we have some good angles rolling for you guys. But if you want to see the farm, I'll have some B-roll. As we're talking about the farm, I'll make sure I play some of that B-roll for you guys. Uh, one of the cool things about being on site is you get to capture the visuals too so uh, again thank you so so much eric uh, for taking the time to share your story your knowledge your mentorship there is no questioning my man you are unstoppable thank you cheers all right there we go another episode in the archive here at restaurant unstoppable i hope you all found value before i let you go i have to remind you please sign up for the restaurant unstoppable email list that is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here where i'm at what's on my mind and what the future of restaurant unstoppable looks like and you can have an influence on that don't forget to connect on social media that's slash restaurant unstoppable on facebook and at eric cacciatore e-r-i-c-c A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.